Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, we are going to talk about the housing market. Joining us today is Todd Tomalak with Zonda. Todd was our first guest on the podcast in 2023, talking about what to expect for the year. And fortunately, he's agreed to come back and give us an update on their most recent forecast. Todd, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Sean. Excited to be here with you. And it's even more exciting considering what's happening in housing. So a, a treat to talk again. Yes. Well, that's always a really good sign when the forecaster or economist comes on and says, I have good news for you. I'm excited to be here. That's the opposite feeling, right? When they're like, well, some of your listeners might not like what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> okay. So at the beginning of the year, certainly the market looked a lot different than it does right now. There was a lot going on. Everybody was laser focused on what the Fed was doing, what was happening with inflation, there was definitely some cooling off that had happened in the fourth quarter of, of 2022 that was bleeding into 2023. There was certainly a lot of skepticism and maybe even, dare I say, some fear at the time that you were on the podcast. And I'm curious, before we get into sort of revisions and where we're at now, can you remind our listeners real quick, just sort of like, how does Zonda go about collecting its data that you use for making your forecasts and understanding the current market? Yeah, so Zonda has uh, a pretty interesting uh, angle on understanding what's happening in housing. All housing is, as you, as, as your clients uh, and members well know, is local, hyper-local. So all of Zonda's collection around housing data starts at the lot level in local markets. And so we have a really good idea into the pipeline way before any starts actually happen of exactly how many lots are coming around the corner. And then this even goes down to like the hyper-local level. If we took, say, the, the new Tesla plant that's being built near Austin, well, within a 20-minute radius of that plant, exactly what's the change in community count and how many lots and what size? And so what this does, it gives us really good visibility into the dry powder of lots when demand comes back, what happens? And then we obviously track the sales pace and construction of all what's going on. And then we do the same thing within kind of the pro-contractor community too. We have some unique reads there. So it's all about putting our nose to the ground and, and listening really carefully for what could get lost in the aggregate. Right. Well, excellent. So you recently put out a revised forecast based on sort of, again, all the data that you're collecting on the local level and what you're actually seeing, it sort of boots on the ground. For reference, in, in January in this podcast, you were forecasting the market down 20% by Q1 of next year, although sort of building product suppliers would probably be in a slightly better position, maybe down just 10% in the first quarter. But looking at what you're seeing right now in the market, what's different? What, what are you thinking now? Give me some highlights. Yeah. So the general theme of building product suppliers doing better than the starts number still holds true. That's going to happen. I'll give you those numbers in a moment. But that base level of starts decline, we've raised up. No surprise. So before we were thinking single family starts down roughly 20%. Now that's been revised up 
almost to single digits, but it's only down minus 11%, so 890K for 2023. And then next year, we think we'll see growth, modest growth, but with we'll see growth on the single family side. Or where we do worry is on the multifamily prints have been really strong coming into the first half of this year, probably stronger than we would have expected. The issue is that we have all this work in progress that's about to hit the market as new apartments. And then we have to see whether or not they actually can lease up and fill up at the rates that have been penciled in on the pro formas. And if they don't, then you see a wave of uh, pullback of capital next year. So the weakness in multifamily is likely second half this year, which we're starting to see in the start print that dropped today and much weaker in the first half of next year. Anecdotally, we've talked to some of the largest apartment developers and they're some of the most bearish folks that I talk to around what they're thinking for 2024. Ellie and I had a great conversation with a few of them. They were really cautious. So I actually think directionally that's correct. What it means for the component manufacturers that, that are on this call is much better revenues for this year. We think Building products installed in new homes, which is really what we're talking about, is only going to be down about 4% once you account for price and things like that this year, and then down about 1% next year, despite all kind of the, the give and take of single family and multifamily. So that's so much better than what we were saying could potentially happen, but we're listening really closely to what happens with that apartment occupancy and those lease-up numbers. So that will be the next thing that we adjust, no doubt, as those numbers become clearer. So Todd, I immediately want to ask the question, like things are so much better. How come? Like what what didn't transpire or what happened that made things that made the market more positive than what we anticipated at the beginning of the year? Yeah. We're in such special, unique territory mm-hmm. that I think we put out a note to clients several weeks ago on this. The fact that we're seeing foot traffic be as strong as it has been to builders and sales to builders in the most recent few weeks is a signal of something underneath the surface in housing that's really encouraging in the long run. So just to give you some numbers, we track builder foot traffic weekly, some of the builders that we work with. In Q1, builder foot traffic was down 21%. So that's about in line with what we were thinking for starts. In Q2, builder foot traffic was up 8%. That's a full reversal. Early so far in July, we don't have August numbers yet, but in July, Preliminary numbers were up 21% year over year. Now that's off of a weaker comp, so it's a little bit easier, but the quality's better than it was the same time a year ago. Cancellation rates are stronger. We'll see if that holds up now that mortgage rates are moving up a fuzz, but that is a signal we think of there being this underlying mismatch of people stuck in homes, planning on moving, a lot of festering underneath of people either that will have to remodel and spend a lot on that or move. Or, or perhaps both. And if they can't find a home that's an eligible change, then new homes from the builders is the outlet. And it's the only place in some cases to get any home. So uh, that's much stronger than if you had handicapped what the impact due to payment shock should have normally been. It's a sign of something really positive underneath the surface. But we, the note that we sent to building product clients, one of the, the categories was called holding a beach ball underwater. And I think that's kind of a good illustration of what we're seeing percolating underneath. The question then is all about timing. When do the kind of the next few quarters play out? How do they do? But eventually, if we see rates come down a fuzz, there's such unique things going underneath that we think is going to manifest itself into one of the more interesting periods within building products within this decade, perhaps better than we've seen in prior decades for some time. But we have some chop right now that was right in front of our noses. 
Well, let's talk about that beach ball for a second. Like, what are some of the underlying things that are are creating that beach ball that at some point is going to to create this surge? So there are so many things that are showing up in pockets of the data that I don't think I've seen in my career, but I even go back as far as some of the entire historical series that we've never seen before. So here's one. Imagine this is the housing equivalent of you're on an airplane and you're in that middle seat that's really uncomfortable with someone next to you on each side. And in front of you, you see an open exit row, like no one's sitting there. The moment that you have an opportunity to get out of that kind of middle seat, scooting up to the exit row, you you will jump on that opportunity. You're just waiting till the stewardess or the, the flight attendant turns off the little window and now you can move up. What we're seeing within housing is something similar. So data from a number of sources, like the New York Fed, there's a survey around how long people are planning on staying in their current home versus moving. Since 2021, so in 2021, the number of people that were planning on moving really soon, like within two years, was pretty much the same number that we saw for the prior eight years, 2014, 2015, 2016, et cetera. It was all the same, despite the pandemic. But this year and last year, it doubled. 2x more homeowners are planning to move like ASAP, the moment that they're able to. It's just been tough for them to move because of this lock-in effect that they've seen. We've done some other work around what's happening underneath the surface. We're seeing like this mini baby boom happening among like college-educated mothers in their mid-30s. It's a really interesting dynamic. We know if you do nothing else but you have a child, that increases housing consumption by about 34%, and it tends to be permanent. So think of what happened in 2022. We saw an acceleration among that demographic. And I'm talking like a four to five standard deviation swing versus prior trend, like really unusual outlier activity but they have not moved yet. They have not changed their purchasing yet. And then we've got some other issues around, we think people who purchased a home say since 2021 or even 2020, there weren't many homes available. So they bought whatever was available regardless of perhaps if it was the right home for them, if it had the right number of rooms, was in the right school district. And now they're kind of discovering that it was not the right house. And so the data that we've done primary work on tells us that there's a lot of festering underneath the surface. Even if they got into a home, they're either going to have to remodel it because they don't like it, or they're going to have to move again. And they've got more equity than they ever have in the history of the data. And so it's just a question of timing. Barring some unusual tail risk credit event, they will change how they spend and they will adjust their housing. It's just a question of how and when, and then to what degree. And we think the degree is pretty clear. If we take the people who responded to the New York Fed data at face value, It implies a household mobility rate, a move rate, somewhat similar to what we saw in the mid-2000s. That's like an 8 million million existing home sales print. That's a huge number, a large number than anything we've seen in the past 20 years, even before. That's festering beneath the surface because they're still telling us they're planning on moving. So that's a pretty interesting signal, we think. But we use this term latent demand a lot, and usually we're using that in in terms of demographics, right? Like the number of people who want to buy a home but haven't been able to yet. That's typically what we're talking about. But what you're talking about is really festering malcontent with their current housing situation. Even if they're in a house, they don't want to be in the house that they're in. And there's not a lot of existing housing stock to solve that problem, right? That's exactly the problem. That's exactly the problem. You go to Target 
and you buy the one pair of jeans that are on the rack because during the pandemic, that's the jeans that are available and they don't fit well or look good. And it's no surprise that you can't wait to trade them out. But this isn't jeans that we're talking about. It's something that's much more important for the welfare of your family and impacts all sorts of avenues of life, festers every single day. So it's no surprise that we're seeing this pretty broadly reflected underneath in some of that data. And there's never been fewer homes for sale as a proportion of housing stock ever in the history of the data. So they're just less for sale available today and more people that are unsatisfied with what they happen to be in. So that's a really interesting dynamic and probably a sign of why the builders are doing so well, because that's the only outlet that this is like trying to buy windows or appliances during the pandemic. It was only through Home Depot and Lowe's that you could get them a few years ago. So that's where people went. And that's what we're seeing with the home builders right now. That's where you can buy a home and that's where people are going. And that's why we're seeing such strong numbers and pricing and even cancellation rates are holding up really well. So that's a really long-term positive story. You've probably heard us tell many of the investors we work with and clients from a remodeling story. And we know this. a lot of these clients don't focus on remodeling, but it's two sides of the same coin. We're calling this decade, we think it's the golden age of remodeling, but with a pretty nasty downturn in the middle. And we're at the downturn now, but that's a comment really on levels of activity. So the same thing applies for housing, that levels of activity for household should look nothing like what we saw for the last 15 years because it's a recalibration. And that's still festering underneath the surface. The cyclical drivers kind of change the timing, but the fact that we're seeing as strong numbers as we are underneath some of these builders is an indication of the more important, broader issue, uh, which, you know, and, and I like to mention this to sometimes to some of our clients. You remember in 2007 and 2008, at that time, subprime was blowing up and it didn't matter what like a 50 basis point move in mortgage rates might do because the underlying problem was so bad because of this subprime credit issue that it was just going to be headwind, headwind, headwind until the issue was worked out. So what we have potentially now is the same issue, not subprime, but the same idea of an underlying festering issue, but a tailwind. So we're going to have some movement in rates and that's going to affect affordability, but it feels like tailwind. And that's part of the reason that we're seeing housing be perhaps in the long run, uh, have additional activity versus anything we saw say over the prior 15 years. So it's a pretty interesting time. It's just tricky to plan the specific quarter. Yeah. Well, Todd, I, I, before moving on, I want to talk about that because I know a lot of people in the media are talking about as interest rates climb, as that bring up mortgage rates, that's going to have downward pressure on home buyer activity, right? Less and less people are going to be able to afford a certain price point because their mortgage rate is higher, that kind of thing. But what I'm hearing is the the current, the, I don't know if it's latent demand or it's that that just desire of like, I don't like what, that festering dislike for what they currently have. Do you feel because of those things that we haven't seen before in the past that this conventional wisdom that a higher interest rate means less activity is maybe not accurate this time around? Yeah, I, I don't debate the theme that a higher interest rate prices some people out at the margin. We put out a piece on this. There's 85 million homeowners, roughly. Of those 85 million about 41 million are what we'd call fully locked in because of mortgage rates increasing over 180 basis points above where their current rate was or what their rate was on their mortgage. There's a really excellent research paper that came out, more of an academic paper, 
that we touch on that basically the what we see is for that group, 41 million homeowners, the math says their mobility should fall in half from about seven and a half percent closer to four percent. That's it's a big decline. However, what we also learn about that group is that once they've kind of eaten the frog of having higher rates, it doesn't continue to get worse as rates go up another hundred basis points. So you go from zero basically mortgage rates that are at whatever your current mortgage is today, up 200 basis points, mobility falls in half. But if you go another 100 basis points beyond that to 300 basis points, we don't really see much of a marginal slowdown. Mm-hmm. So why I'm encouraged by that is where mortgage rates are right now is we already have the majority of homeowners fully locked in, right? They've exhausted, it's kind of this nonlinear effect. They've exhausted the effect of that lock-in effect. So if rates go up another 50 basis points, there are other credit issues that could emerge. But for the marginal effect to homeowners, the fact that it's not worse already means they've already eaten the frog. At least that's what the math suggests. And that what we're seeing now is the homeowner that's kind of adjusted to some of those issues and they're purchasing anyways, because they have so much home equity built up that it enables them to swap into a different location. Eventually enough discomfort happens in the home. We talked about festering before. Uh, if you don't have a home with the right number of rooms or in the right school district or doesn't have the right features, it bothers you every single day until you fix that issue or you have to just get used to what you don't like. So there's few categories of spending that people have as much equity as they do right now and as much festering <laughs> from what, what we can measure in the data. So that that is a incremental change in levels long-term versus what we might have seen in prior years when we just didn't have the same type of matching issue. So Todd, real quick, as we wrap up here, because this has all been really good, what you're talking about is really good fundamentals for sort of the long-term, long-term being at least the next couple of years. But short-term, as people are listening to this for sort of their expectations for the rest of the year and into Q1, what's sort of your advice or your crystal ball saying? So our message to clients was super clear near-term risks culminate in the second half of 2023. So this is all bad news. Despite all like the, the improvements that I mentioned, what was going on, uh, we had this head- headwind of uh, cycle time improvement, which is, looks like extra revenue for your clients in the first half of the 2023. Well, now that's fading out. So they're going to see weaker numbers by about 6%, we think, handicapped in the second half of this year, just due to the cycle time issue. You have the apartment issue that's going to potentially be a pretty stiff headwind coming into early next year. That's another issue that they're going to run into. So expect volatile orders. And I would worry about especially multifamily risk for the component suppliers that are dealing with a lot of those big multifamily projects. That's going to be an issue, especially in some of the markets where there's a lot of units that are coming online. So near term, second half this year and early part next year, absolute risk. And then it's a setup which could be one of the more rapid bounces that we've seen in the history of the data, we think. Certainly the case for home improvement, but also the case for new construction potentially, that all these underlying festering, percolating factors that we're talking about still remain the case. So we're going to run into some headwinds in the near term, but it's a setup for much, it's almost similar to what we saw post-2020, where there's a near-term decline, and then buckle up and try to navigate it and line up your suppliers and try to figure out pricing. And all those operational things get more tricky, but it's good because orders are growing and not shrinking. We think that's the story as we get into 2024 and 2025. So a little bit of a roller coaster, but they're going to like the ride after that. As long as it ends 
where you want it to end. You just know to hold on. Yeah, I agree. Todd, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SPCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com. Mm-hmm.